So last week we started with uh, Silent Night, this idea, you know, the idea here is that we have these things in our background texture of Christmas, and what do they mean, where do they come from? So Stas told me later it was the weirdest Christmas uh, sermon he'd ever heard because I'm preaching a Christmas service about Silent Night, spent the whole time in the Old Testament talking about Joseph. This one's not going to be any less weird today. Uh, but we are talking about this idea of Emmanuel. Now, if somebody were to ask me, what makes you think your religion's best? This is my answer to it, Emmanuel. And the reason is because ours is the only religion where God came for us. Every other religion, you have to find God. If he talks to you at all, he speaks through somebody. Even Judaism spoke through Moses and the prophets. Uh, Islam speaks through Muhammad the prophet. Uh, everybody has, you know, the, the Mormons spoke through Joseph Smith. There's always somebody who speaks for God. And it's up to the person who's hearing to find their way to God. Now, sometimes there isn't anybody speak like Buddhism. You simply have to find your own path to enlightenment. That's on you. And it's always hard, by the way. I don't know if you ever noticed all these religions to get to God's heart. And all the work's on your end. You've know, you got to find your way to God somehow, whether you're going to just discover it yourself like Buddha, Buddhism or your relatives tell you like Shintoism. Um, all, all the isms are very, very hard until you get to the one that's not an ism, which is an entity, Christianity, because in our religion, our God came to us. He said, yeah, you can't make it from there to here. I'm coming to you. Hang on. And in fact, he does all the work. All you have to do is believe and receive. And I'm thinking, if you just line up all the religions and took truth out of the picture, which one would you want to be part of? It just seems to me so obvious. I want this one. I want the God who loved me so much he came for me. And I always feel you can trust someone who's willing to die for you. And so I think that's to me, just makes most sense. And this, this, uh, this word, Emmanuel, means God with us. And I think we all know that because it's in the Christmas carols and it's even in Christmas cards. Emmanuel, God with us. And we get it in a Christmas story from Matthew. Uh, and here's the, here's the reference, Matthew 1. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And you, know, you see that Emmanuel is there spelled with an I. Uh, there's no reason for that, by the way. There's no, there's no real letter that's correct there. It's phonetic. But typically what they do is if they're quoting the Old Testament's an I, if they're speaking in the New Testament's an E, and if you're wondering why the different spelling, same word, um, which translated means God with us. Now, this comes to us from a dream. This is Joseph's dream. He's getting ready to divorce Mary when he finds out she's pregnant because he knows he hasn't been with her. And he's going to quietly divorce her. And the angel comes and says, don't do that. And he's explaining what really happened. He's quoting a prophet, and the prophet he's quoting is Isaiah. Now, I could have told you all of that three weeks ago because I've done research since then. But I even knew that just because I'd paid attention. I stayed awake during Sunday school class. I knew enough to know that we're quoting the prophet Isaiah. Here's the problem. I didn't know where in Isaiah we were quoting. I really didn't know. I, I, I kind of have an idea but I didn't know, and I didn't know the context of it. And I thought, I wonder what the context of this is. It's my most wonderful moment for Christ Christianity. You know, Emmanuel, so important, God with us. I wonder what the context of that is. I wonder how this happened. And I kind of pictured maybe, maybe Isaiah sitting there. I don't know what prophets do in their, in their downtime, you know, smoke a pipe, <laughs> drink some coffee, sketching or something. He starts sketching a manger, and what's this, Lord? And God explains it to him. I don't know. I have no idea how it works to be a prophet. I'm not a prophet. Um, so that's kind of what I thought, this kind of nice, tender little moment sort of thing. Uh, instead, what we'll find out is that uh, this was actually uttered in anger. This prophecy is given in anger, 
kind of like, whoa, this is not what I expected. So like I said, here we go again for, with another weird Christmas message. But before I get there, let me back up one more step in the Old Testament and say where all this starts, because it really starts with a king named David, who is kind of the standard of all kings as far as the Bible is concerned. You could make the case he's the standard of all kings forever, but he's, he's the biblical king that everybody points back to and God points back to. And we see this moment that happens in David's life where God gives us this amazing prob, um, promise. It, it happens in 2 Samuel. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, remember he was a shepherd, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people in Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. You will be remembered, your name will be remembered amongst every great emperor and king ever. And by the way, absolutely true. This, prof this prophecy is true because we're talking about David today thousands of years after his death. In the same way, we might talk about, you know, Alexander or Caesar. We know David just as well as all those names. Even though technically he was a smaller king, his, his empire was not as big, we still know David. So this is absolutely true. He becomes famous, and he tells them why. I'm going to appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And the violent men shall afflict them no more, as was happened before from all the way back to the time I appointed judges, he says, I'm going to give you rest from all your enemies. This marks a change in Israel. Now, David's been fighting everybody. He's been attacked from all sides. He's united the kingdom because it was split. He unites the kingdom. He fights back all his enemies. And God says, enough. I'm going to give you a rest now. Um, and, and David does get a rest from everybody but his own family, who ends up being the problem in his later life. But all his enemies will not bother him anymore. So God said, I'm going to give you this place of rest. He says this, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, will make, establish you. This house will be like establish you as a kingdom forever. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish a kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm going to raise up somebody from your bloodline who will live forever. And he will establish a kingdom that never ends. This, by the way, is the greatest promise a king can ever hear. Because after he kind of finally gets to the top of his kingdom, he kind of looks and thinks, what's going to happen when I'm gone? Every king does. Every king worries about that. What happens to my kingdom when I'm gone? And what God's saying is nothing's going to happen in your kingdom. I'm going to watch over it. And I'm going to establish a kingdom in your bloodline that will live forever. Now, why is God so happy with David? David wanted to build him a house. That's why. Because David's sitting around his palace. He says, I have this really nice house, and God's in a tent, the tent of the tabernacle. That's not right. And so he talks to the prophet and says, can I build God a house? I want to build him this really great house. And he starts drawing these plans. He gets excited. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't need you to build me the house. Who even told you to do this? And, but I mean, God isn't like challenging, like who told you? He's like, who, who gave you this idea, David? This is incredible that someone would think of me that way. And he's so filled with love for David in that moment that he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build you a house that will never end. I'm going, to, I'm going to have him come for me. And from that moment on, David's family will be sitting on the throne. Now, the kingdom splits again. His, his next son actually grows the kingdom more, a guy named Solomon. And after that, it breaks up. The kingdom splits again. And as it splits up, there's two kingdoms that it splits into. And it gets confusing for us because we want to think of Israel as a kingdom. And surely that's where David's line follows. But there's actually splits into two kingdoms, a kingdom called Judah and a kingdom called Israel. 
Now, Judah is actually the bigger and stronger of the two. And for those biblical scholars, you know this, David was from the line of Judah. So the, of the tribes, he came from Judah. Now, have you ever heard of the term the line of Judah referring to Jesus Christ? That's because he's a descendant of David, from also from the line of Judah. So the kingdom of Judah became the one that David's lineage would sit on. And the king of Israel was a bunch of weird things. And a bunch of people who really had no claim to the throne, just kind of political or, or, or some kind of military thing. So let me speed forward now 300 years to where this prophecy happens. We get out of Samuel and all the way up to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is now the spokesperson for God. And there's a king sitting on the throne named King Ahaz. And he is no King David, let me tell you. He's a, he's a descendant of David, but he is no King David. He is certainly not. In fact, we see this in 2 Kings. It kind of tells us a little bit about this guy. You're not going to believe what this man does. When he was 20 years old, he became the king. Unlike David, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel, that's the other kingdom, who was following the ways of the people around them. You know, everybody's kind of trying to become like everybody else. Just let, let's be like the world and they'll stop attacking us. That's kind of the thinking. If we just be more like the world, the world will start, stop attacking us. By the way, it's going on right now. <laughs> a lot of churches are saying we need to be more like the world. We need to be more accepting of the world. We need to start embracing some things the world embraces so the world will stop attacking the church all the time. It's the same idea that they had. If we can be more like the world, they'll stop attacking us. never works, by the way, uh, but that's what they always think. So he followed the ways of Israel. He even sacrificed his son in fire. Now, it's something called fire walking, and that was typically done by the other kings. They would literally take one of their children and make them walk into a fire where they'd be overcome by the smoke and fall and die and burn. And that was a sacrifice to God that would make them, you know, now see how serious I am? I sacrificed a child. So this is really perverted, weird thinking but this guy even did that with one of his own children. It became so well done that there's actually a law that God had to pass that says fire walking is an abomination to me. Don't do it. Because you can get really perverted and think, well, God's really going to love me now. Look what I'm sacrificing. God said, I don't want you sacrificing your kids. I don't want it. And so uh, he even did that. And so um, he says he, he even offered sacrifices and burned incense in the high places, the hilltops, and every spreading tree. He would worship any God out there. Anywhere, he would, he would just, any, you know, oh, this God's going to help me, I'll, I'll worship to him. Anything that could get him ahead. This is who the guy is. But even though you're trying to be like the world because they won't attack you, the world always turns against you. So that's just a matter of time. And so then his buddy uh, down in Israel formed an alliance with another buddy, and so they decided to come after him. So uh, Ahaz, Ahaz, 